0: the Property Experience, our hosts
1: Zarko Jokic and Anna Porter will take you behind the curtain of the property market Australia-wide. Uh
2: huh.
0: So, but we're going to get you to do all the broker series because yep. you know mortgage brokers.
2: Okay, cool, cool. So I'm introducing you as co-host rather than yeah, guest. I think we'll do it yeah, that way.
0: great. Makes a bit more sense. If
1: you could just start by counting to three, four, five. Eins, zwei, drei,
0: I've only got English. One, two, <laughs> three, four, five. Perfect.
2: One, two, three, four, five. Brilliant. Awesome. We're all good to go. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Experience Podcast and with every episode of the Property Experience Podcast. It is all about surrounding you with smart people and we have some smart people in the room, starting with my co-host today, Anna Porter. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. And our special guest today is John Tyndall from Accumulus Home Loans. Welcome,
1: John. Thank you, Zako.
2: Now, today is all about equity. And we're going to talk in particular about sleeping equity. People often say you cannot wake the equity, it's sleeping. I say to those people, well, you better go wake it up then. So let's start with brass tax, ladies and gentlemen. John, firstly to you, what is equity?
1: Equity is the amount of ownership that people have in their own home. It's basically the value of the home, less what you owe to the bank.
2: And why do some people find it sleeping? What's tired this equity out that it has to sleep on our good listeners today?
1: Because not a lot of people value their homes on a regular basis. Our superannuation, our shares, we get sent statements on a regular basis. But we don't always know what the value of the home is. We know what we owe the bank. But that's the gap. The gap is the, value, the wealth.
0: I think the valuers of the world would be glad about that. Otherwise, we'd be getting emails every single day. Mm. <laughs> How's it moved? What's happening? Why has it changed?
2: <laughs> so as an ex-valuer, you often get asked, like a, a doctor at a barbecue, I've got this little spot on my arm. Is this something? Do people ask you, Anna, well, I've got a three-bedroom house in Marrickville. What do you think that would go for?
0: Absolutely, all the time. And like the doctor, I tend not to diagnose it on the spot. Uh, But you are right, John. I think it is really important for people to have visibility on it. And maybe we can't have as much visibility as, say, the share market. It's not a daily metrics. But when you get your annual pest treatment done, when you get your annual, you know, statements around your financial position, maybe that's the time to trigger to say, should I look at what my house is worth?
1: Or if someone's starting to think about retirement or they think to themselves, this market's hot and maybe I should consider investment or something like that, again, that's a really good trigger point to perhaps reach out.
0: What about the online valuation um, reports that people can get, the free ones? You type in what's my home worth and it pulls up an online valuation, supposedly, um, although I use that word loosely. Are they accurate? How helpful are they?
1: Uh, They're they're helpful to the respect that they give recent comparative sales. So Mm. that's good. However, to use my own property as an example, myself and the neighbors have got essentially the same sort of property. I haven't sold my home for 20 years. In the database that's being used, my property is worth 950. The one next door, which changed hand only a few years ago, 1.15. So the to be used as a guide, but really nothing more than that. And
2: it's because of the data they're using to come up with a estimate is based on sales, no matter when that sale took place. So they're not taking into account the tyranny of time, or in this case the advantage of time with the capital growth that may apply.
1: Well, I think that there's there's that, certainly. you're quite right, Sarko. Uh, the other element of it is that this is just a dumb database. Mm. They are not looking at that lovely green patch of grass, which is going to be a major freeway yeah. in a few years' time. No one has been out to have a look at the uh, the gold toilet seats or anything like that. Yeah, okay. It is just a dumb database.
2: Yeah, so it's a bit of an emotionless measure without actually taking into account what the livability of the property is and also the desirability of the area between previous sales and
1: the current situation. And that's exactly the sort of thing that Aunt Anna and her team do so well. They will look beyond the numbers to see what else is going to be more attractive to different people at different times.
2: Mm. So in your interactions with people that are sitting on this equity that we've talked about, how do you go about getting them a better idea of what they're actually sitting on in terms of
1: value? Well usually I start with that database just to have a look at the comparative sales in the area. I ask them to send me their bank statements, so I understand what the gap is, okay. and then we can figure out how much of this invisible sack of money mm. is it two hundred, or is it three hundred, or seven hundred thousand dollars that's yeah. just sitting there, doing no good to nobody. Okay, and once they've uncovered this sack
2: of money, as we uh, talked about, how do they go about accessing that to actually use it for an option?
1: There's probably two ways. uh, If they choose to refinance or go back to their bank and say, I'd like to potentially draw out some more money Mm. against the value of my house. Well, they can do it that way. Yes. So that's just a a simple uh, application to the bank to get equity release, funnily Mm -hmm. enough. Okay. The second common way is to cross-collateralise. And this basically says that you're giving to the bank both properties – Okay. as security and then you're borrowing against the joint value of both your existing property and the target property uh, The aspect about cross collateralization is that should you want to sell the target property down the track mm. then you've got to unwind it from your current that mortgage that new mortgage which is not hard. But it's just another factor in the equation of what's right for the client.
2: So it's an extra step in terms of, again, having to refinance again to unlock and release one of those properties.
1: I've done it both ways, depending upon what the, the client's needs and circumstances suggest is the right thing to do.
2: And in both of these transactions, I'd imagine there's someone who's, again, reassessing the value of the property. So is there a formal valuation that takes place rather than just that computerised lookup one that yourself and Anna were talking about before?
1: Yes, there's always a formal valuation. Uh, The banks won't lend money just on anyone's say so. Mm. Uh, So that's when they reach out to the valuers. Sometimes it's free, sometimes it's not, depending on which bank you go to. But generally speaking, people like myself, mortgage brokers, should know which bank to go to, how to approach them, and how to ask for the valuation.
2: And I imagine for you as a professional finance broker and mortgage broker, having that valuation gives you the opportunity to give some real value in your conversations with this client about their options.
1: That's right. That's when we sit down and have a detailed proposal about how much money is available in this Mm. great big sack hanging over your property and what we can put it to. Excellent.
2: Yeah. So let's explore that. Let's talk a little bit about what can people do with that option or that opportunity once they know how much equity they have. Mm -hmm. What are some of the options that uh, your clients have come to you with and said, we want to do this or we want to do that? Talk us through some of those uh, scenarios.
1: Okay. So I've got one right at the moment and what he wants to do is partly investment in property, but he also wants some potentially to look at the share market. Mm. So for him, equity release would probably be the better strategy okay. so that he can actually say, I want an extra 100000 for future investment purposes Yes, without needing to be specific. So, Another client of mine wants cross-collateralisation because okay. he simply didn't want the cash out. He was comfortable having both properties and he wanted to borrow stamp duty and so forth as well. So it was a really nice, clean transaction for him.
2: And that's often I see people talk about, well, you can buy an investment property with no money down. What they mean, no money out of your savings, but money out of an existing property through via this transaction of cross collateralization as you're yeah. talking about, John.
1: cross collateralization, in one sense, is a non-cash transaction. Okay. Because you're borrowing against your existing property. Mm. So
0: can you also use that money to renovate? So if I wanted to pull some money out, renovate my home, which would, in theory, unless I do a really bad job, add value to it. And then get it revalued to see what else I could do with what's left over.
1: That's a great idea, Anna. And a client that I'm just refinancing at the moment did that for renovations for their own property. But just as a bit of a sideline, her son had a, uh, a bone splinter in his elbow as a result of a baseball smacking him. And they didn't have the money to get that fixed. So as part of the refinance that we did for him and the equity release, we got them a little bit of extra money. The son got his splinter removed and fixed and he got a baseball scholarship to the United States.
0: Wow, that's, that's an incredible outcome.
1: And they took their first holiday in four years.
0: Wow. So, so the money that sits in your own property is is yours to access. It doesn't belong to the bank. If you can come under the right tick boxes for being able to borrow the money from the bank, you can actually use it for pretty much anything by the sounds of it.
1: There's probably some ethical limitations on that. (laughs) Anything legal. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, yes, pretty much you can. Obviously, we want people to be able to retire with as much manageable debt as possible. We don't want them to be overgeared. We want them to be able to enjoy their retirement. So if being able to access your equity means buying an investment property, which means you retire more comfortably with another income stream, well, it's got to be a winner
0: but it's really a safety net, whether it's in an investment property or your own home. And ideally, you'd have some of this in your investment properties too once you go through that journey. You're creating a financial safety net that you can access finances if you need it for health issues or whatever, you know, business downturn, job loss. Mm. I'm sure some people might have tapped into some equity over this COVID period to get through this tougher time for some people. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to understand though, can I get equity out of someone else's property?
1: Uh, perhaps. Uh, I think marriage and divorce is always a good strategy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what about mum and dad's property?
1: Your mum and dad's?
0: Yeah. So, yeah. am I able to yes. access parents' yeah. equity?
1: Absolutely. Uh, if you're thinking of family guarantee type scenarios, yeah. then this is a great strategy if you're a young couple but you don't have the deposit. So, quick, very quick example here. Mm. Uh, great question, by the way, Anna. Let's say that you're a Sydney couple you're on good Sydney incomes. But what you don't have is the Sydney deposit of 20% for a million dollar property. And you don't have any prospects of getting that for another four to five years. So what you can do, if the parent situation is right, you can actually tap into their equity. It's a non-cash contribution to your next home. And what that means is you can get into the home faster than you would be able to do so yourself. It's a great strategy, which I use a lot of.
0: Yeah. Do you need to have genuine cash savings these days or will banks overlook that in lieu of equity in that situation?
1: They, in that situation, family guarantee, they like to see some cash savings, but generally speaking, you don't need to. You can actually borrow through family guarantee, equity release over the parent's property, 104% of your target property price. So, in other words, 100% of the property plus your stamp duty.
0: Fantastic.
1: 107 in some cases.
0: When, when would people have trouble releasing equity? Where do you see it go wrong?
1: It's, uh, I would probably start with what the family situation is like uh, and make sure that they're in a stable sort of situation because, you know, you, you're taking on some more debt. The other aspect here is that as we know, if you borrow more than 80% of the property's value, then you may be asked to pay lender's mortgage insurance. And if you wanted, say, $20,000 out, but you're borrowing more than 80% and you are incurring, say, $10,000 in lender's mortgage insurance, why incur 10 mm. to get 20? It doesn't make sense. Sort of counterproductive. It's, it's you're robbing
2: Peter, pay Paul, you're coming out worse off. So there's got to be a better financial outcome at the end of the transaction is sort of the ethical um, basis you mentioned before, John, yeah.
1: yeah? Yeah, exactly right. So what we're trying to do is we're always trying to look at what the client wants to achieve – And then how can we do that cost effectively for them? Mm. And we don't want to give people
2: uh, the message today that equity release is like going to an ATM. It's not just cash. there, ready to go. There is a process. So you mentioned that um, some lenders will and some lenders won't. And some lenders ask, you know, have different lending ratios. But in general, what do lenders want to see as evidence for what the money will be used for? And I know Anna talked about, well, it needs to be legal and we'll take that as red. But if I want to actually get equity out to invest and tap into uh, the stock market, for some people that says dangerous as something that's illegal. So what does the lender usually want to see before they'll give the money in terms of equity to the client to invest in some other avenues?
1: If you're investing in something like the share market, mm. then it can be as simple as a letter. Okay. Just stating that you're looking to invest to borrow yes. for future investment purposes.
2: So a letter from the borrower is a statement, this is my intention. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: for something more like, but other lenders mm. uh, will want to see that you're investing in property, so, and then they will be asking for things like a rental appraisal. Yes. So that they can say, okay, well, we will add this target rent to your income to determine your borrowing capacity and things like that. So it's different requirements by different lenders. And that's part of what, again, mortgage brokers do. We listen to our clients. Mm. We understand their needs. But probably more importantly, a little bit like a lawyer, we know which judge to go to and how to present it to that judge emphasise the strengths of our clients' cases, mitigate the weaknesses to get the outcome that they're looking for.
2: Yeah. And just like an ad- a solicitor was once called an advocate in a legal sense, you're like a financial advocate. You're advocating on behalf of the client to put the best possible financial presentation to the lender for the best possible outcome for your clients.
1: Yeah. It's actually a really nice three-way win mm. because the client, Will get the outcome that is suitable for them. Yes. The lender will get a new asset, a loan that is suitable for them. And of course, I get paid for my professional time and effort. Yeah.
2: You get rewarded for your effort. And I want to talk a little bit about those rewards, John, in terms of give us some um, examples of, one of some of the most rewarding transactions you've been involved with where you really changed someone's life by actually allowing them to the structure to release equity. You mentioned that one example with the, the lad with the broken arm who mm-hmm. wants to be a baseball star. What other um, scenarios have you come across in your travels?
1: Babies. Wow.
0: <laughs> that was a very succinct answer. You come across babies often. <laughs> uh,
1: babies and divorcees not necessarily linked, but uh,
0: I've got babies. I reckon it could be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but having the um, the family guarantee option and helping parents release equity, mm. you are helping young couples to buy their first home. Yeah. Okay. Not only is this their their love nest. Yes. Uh, but in all likelihood, this is when they're going to bring effort. This is the home that they're going to bring their first home, their first baby home to. Yeah. And that, you know, literally sends tingles. Yeah. So that's really a cool thing that we do. Uh, It's not so much equity related, but funnily enough, I seem to have been attracting a lot of divorcees recently. Yeah. And the self-esteem that you can give some of these people to say that you're going to get a property you're going to be able to sleep calmly and peacefully at night, Mm. you and the kids, and we're going to get you your own home without any other partner in the background. Yes. And you're going to do it on your own merits by Christmas. Literally, I have seen a lady sit up straighter, a gleam came back to her eye, and you could see the self-esteem flooding back in. Yes, For me, mortgage-breaking... It has very little to do about getting people money for properties. It's about the lifestyle that we can give them.
0: You mentioned before uh, lenders mortgage insurance. Walk me through that and what that is for our listeners because I think a lot of people perceive that as an insurance for them that you know, if they can't pay the loan, it will be paid back for them and that's not the case, is it?
1: No, that's exactly right. Uh, lenders mortgage insurance is when you're usually borrowing more than 80% of the target property's value. So, in other words, the bank wants you to put in 20%, generally Mm. speaking. But if you want to borrow more than that, so it's a little bit higher risk for the bank, they will ask you to buy an insurance premium for them so that if you default, the bank is covered.
0: Oh, that's cheeky, isn't
1: it? Mm Mm-hmm. Certainly is, but that's the rules. And most lenders do it that way. I think of it as a tool. I had a teacher who fortunately had a uh, father of, uh, father-in-law of father of ethnic backgrounds and he knew everything about property. I'm sure you, you've seen the type from time to time, Anna. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was adamant that she should not pay lenders mortgage insurance. I'm saying to her, it's a tool. If you're getting outbid, you need to borrow a little bit more in order to get this property.
0: Cost of doing business sometimes.
1: It's a tool to get you the property you want. Uh, that was in 2015. When I called her a few years later, she was still out of the market. Oh, mm. wow. And as <laughs> you know, <laughs> the extra 3 or 4% that she would have paid in 2015 would have been capital appreciation of 20% or more in those years. Yep.
2: Depending on the market, yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm.
1: So Lenders Mortgage Insurance, it's not a nice cost. Um, I try and mitigate it if I can, but I recognise it's a tool as well
0: see that in the investment side of things. Some clients come to our door and they've got a capacity to buy an investment property for, call it 300000 If they tip into LMI a little bit and maybe have to spend eight to 10000 on lender's mortgage insurance, it might take them up to a $400,000 investment, mm-hmm. which suddenly opens up opportunity to get better properties, better quality homes, better tenant profiles, better mm. locations with a better growth profile. Yes. And it takes them out of something that would be very compromised and questionable and something that they may not buy because they're not comfortable with it and we may not recommend it to getting them where they can have $100,000 in equity in the investment property over two, three, four years because they got a better property for their money. And the cost of doing business might have been eight or $10,000 in lender's mortgage insurance. It mm. can be the difference between a good asset and a really, really poor performing asset.
1: I think that there's a saying, and I'm going to get this terribly wrong, but uh, to every carpenter, every problem looks like a nail. Mm. And the solution to it is a hammer. Yeah. And if you're not as experienced in investment as you might like to be, then you might think that the only answer is save the money and buy yes. the property. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but uh, brokers and people that have been in the uh, property investment game for some time will tell you. There are more solutions out there to consider. Mm. Lenders mortgage insurance, release of equity, uh, look around at family members, a whole heap of solutions. Uh, they don't; It doesn't just have to be lenders mortgage insurance or a hammer.
0: And what if there's not equity coming through on the valuation? So someone comes and sees you and they think their property's worth a million dollars, but they're, they're, it's not worth that much based on the valuation done and the equity isn't where they'd like it to be. What do they do then? What options do they have?
1: Well, uh, I've got this situation at the moment, and for this particular client, it's a not yet. Okay. I actually said, "Here, here are your other options. You mm-hmm. can uh, lower your expectations of the property that you're looking for mm-hmm. that fits within the valuation that we have been given." Mm-hmm. And just out of uh, interest, it was a nine hundred and thirty thousand dollars property, according to the client. Two banks valued at seven seventy.
2: Okay, that's a big differential. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: so he was expecting, obviously, at least a hundred grand more, mm. uh, and it wasn't there. So, to answer your question, Anna, what uh, I do is I try and modify their expectations mm-hmm. uh, and say it's a not yet. Yeah.
0: So, in, in, in that not yet time, while they're going through that journey, they could potentially pay down more debt to bridge that that gap mm-hmm. more. Um, I've seen people do little renovation projects with money from the parents to try and increase the equity because the money from the parents isn't going to be enough to get where they want yes. it. But if they can double down and get a little bit more value in the house asset, it gives them a bit of a head start to it and things like that.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, but do you mind if I ask you a question, Anna? Sure. A little bit of a theory. And I know that you're a ex- very experienced valuer in the past. and taught I like it, to tell people that. And taught <laughs> it at TAFE, I believe.
0: I still do part-time teaching in the degree course now, actually. Yes.
1: So, when a property is worth 700000 and the bank wants you to insure it, the building, for three fifty, does that mean that half the value of that property lies in the dirt?
0: I'm going to say yes and no. So, yes in the sense that usually uh, a, an amount of the value will lie in the land, uh, but the value put on a building is not necessarily a reflection of value in the market. So, When we do an insurance valuation, we use the cost new to build it. We then add escalations because you take a 12-month insurance policy. So if your home Mm -hmm. burns down in the 11th month, you need to be covered. So it's a higher rate per square metre than what you might see today, only slightly higher. Then there's another um, factor for... Uh, demolition and clean-up of debris. Because if your house burns down, you don't have a cleared site. So Mm. there's a a percentage that is attributed to having to do that. Um, And then it's um, all added together to get an insurance value of the building, Mm. um, which will be higher than what it's valued at in the market because you've got depreciation. So if you put two houses side-by-side, for example, in the same housing estate, one is a brand-new build and one's built in the 1980s and is original, you won't pay the same for them. People mm. always tell me houses don't depreciate. Well, that's an example of how they do. It's the land that goes up in value and people pay different prices for different locations. But side by side, old house, new house, you pay more for the new one. Yep. So that is a, a mechanism of depreciation. So that's also not factored into it. So yes, there is. you are correct that there is a land value and a building value. They're two separate items, but it's not a direct split of what the insurance is taken off the land off the market value.
1: There you go, Zarko, I learned something today.
2: Absolutely, and it's very important to understand all of those variables. And just like you are talking about, Anna, if you put a new house and, an, uh, and a 10-year-old house side by side, what are you going to go for? All things being equal, you're going to go for the new one. We're seeing that a lot, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne with the unit market, where some of the older units aren't actually retaining their value as much as the newer stock because the newer stock is shiny by its definition, brand new? And who wants to live in an older unit block when there's a brand new one across the road? So it's very important to have a holistic view when we're talking about valuations. And that's really what we're tapping into in our conversation here with equity. Equity can only stack up if the value of the property stacks up. So in terms of where the market is going in terms of the conversations you're seeing, John. What are people coming to you with requests for in terms of what they do? What do they want the equity for? So if you think of the last 20 conversations you've had with clients who do want to unlock equity, what are they looking to use, use that equity for? What are some of the common trends you're seeing?
1: Well, the three clients that I signed up uh, just last week, one was to buy an investment property in Camden South. Okay. Now, he was cross collateralized. Mm-hmm. Uh, another couple wanted to buy their first investment property. They're in their 50s. Yes. they actually bought out at Bathurst, Anna. Okay. Uh, and the third uh, couple that uh, I signed up were buying to renovate their garden and just get better interest rates generally.
2: Okay. So, they're renovating and staying put? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, it's a real mix. Mm-hmm. And
2: are you seeing that in terms of the inquiry that's coming to you in terms of investors coming back into the marketplace because they now have unlocked some of this equity?
0: Yeah, they've unlocked equity, they haven't had the Europe trip, they've maybe done the renovations over COVID because they were bored silly and they decided to, you know, add to the fun of living and working with your husband and your kids, let's renovate too. Uh, that might be where the divorces are coming from mm. for you, John. Oh, uh, so. <laughs> I'm seeing a bump. <laughs> it's on the COVID face. bump or COVID bust, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, so they've, they've got this surplus wealth, whatever mm. that looks like and however they tap into it, usually multiple ways. And now they're thinking about, well, should I invest? Or we're also getting a lot of inquiry about the holiday home. Should I go buy the holiday home you know, up the coast, down the coast, somewhere inland, to have a combination of an investment asset as well as somewhere to enjoy while we can't holiday overseas? Yeah. Uh, we've actually had more clients come on board in the last two months than I would say we've had for any single month in the last two years. It's so this is
2: new inquiries, new clients month. running to a Retain your services.
0: Yeah, it's been unprecedented. I think this oh. has been our busiest month of onboarding new clients for any February I've ever okay. seen. Are we still in February? That's Yes, we are. <laughs> we are, yeah. 15th yeah, today. It, yeah, and it's the 15th, and we've already had more come on than any February ever. Mm. Um, same for January. So, I mean, I'm tired, don't get me wrong, but it does tell us we're a good barometer on what's happening. Yeah. You know, and so would you be, John. Mm. Uh, have, there's There's an appetite there, and there's a level of aggression too. People are like, I want it done, and I want it done now. Okay, these self-imposed deadlines are not necessary, but they, they want it done and they want it done now.
2: And they want the advice from someone who's a professional who's also not swayed by a a big corporate influence, and that's why professionals like John and Anna should be part of your team. Often here on the Property Experience podcast, we we talk about surrounding yourself with the smartest people you can find and having the right people on your team. So what's one piece of advice, John, you'd like to give people who maybe haven't been curious enough to understand what how much equity they might be sitting on? What's the first step you're going to encourage them to take if they want to satisfy that curiosity, John?
1: Well, I think the first step would be to educate yourself somehow. There's lots of uh, books and podcasts and videos to explore, but try and find out what, what resonates with you, what feels right. Mm. And then once you've sort of got a feel for what type of, if it was an investor, what type of investor you want to be, Yep then engage some professional services so that you are understanding that there are many, many more tools in the toolbox that can get you what you want.
2: And when your clients need um, help that's beyond your scope, have you got a team that you refer clients to? Excellent. Yeah. Absolutely. So finance is a team sport
1: then? Oh, absolutely it is, yes. Suburbanite has been a key part for many years Mm -hmm. because they can dispassionately go and find the property according to what the client's needs are.
0: Now, I've got a question for you, John. Um, and this is – I've also known you for a very long time, I must disclose. Um, so, your family have property in their DNA. Your son's in the property game. Mm-hmm. Your daughter's invested in property. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're in the mortgage broking sector, which mm-hmm. has a lot to do with property, funnily enough. Um, you see a lot of strategies. Your family would have used a lot of strategies around rent vesting, buying and holding, commercial versus residential assets, flipping, developing, you name it. They've all got fun names, don't they? What strategies do you like and what do you think works well?
1: That's a tough one. I think you start with what do you understand? What do you feel comfortable in doing? So uh, you're quite right. My son, John's got an investment property and he went for capital growth. Mm. So he was interested in a particular type of investment that was going to grow in value. Uh, My daughter, Julia... She was more of a passive investor. She wanted cash flow. So, what she went for, what Anna's team helped her with, was a property that was going to then develop more regular long term cash flow for her um, without the same emphasis on capital growth. So, two different investors, two different strategies, but it depends on what's right for them. I don't think there's one answer suits all.
0: Good answer. It's
2: about the context of where the client's coming from, and what they want to achieve in the future. And that's why it's important to surround yourself with smart people. Uh, this has been another great conversation here at the Property Experience Podcast. Thank you very much, John, for sharing your wisdom today. And that's our bell today. That indicates we're nearly at the end. Anna, thanks a lot for uh, co-hosting this episode.
0: Thanks for having me along. You so, oh, oh God, thanks for having me alongside you, Zarko. If I can get the words out.
2: <laughs> well, please stay tuned for future episodes. It's been great chatting to you today, and as usual, ask the right questions to get the right answers. Bye for now.